you know, Bitcoin relates to every aspect of life in some mm. way, because like money is, is <laughs> touches all aspects in life and all money is, is a form of human energy. It's like stored yep. human energy that you can transfer and, and hang on to. And, if it and um, yeah, exactly. And Bitcoin is just a more moral monetary system. Like mm. there, there's a reason Bitcoiners still hang on to this thing, even after a 40%, you know, drop or whatever, mm. um, is because humanity has been stuck with this, uh, elite class of people that has access to the money printer and, and mm. can buy whatever they want. And, uh, you know, so we're opting out. Welcome to Bitcoin Basics with your hosts, Faris and Gordon. Visit bitcoinbasics.help if you need help buying and securing your Bitcoin. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Bitcoin Basics podcast. It is Ferris today flying solo. Um, Gordon, unfortunately, had, was a bit ill and had a sore throat, so he was unable to join myself and Andrew Howard, who I'll introduce in a second. Uh, the price of Bitcoin is $39,400. The block height is, let me find it, where are we here? 726,762. And it is the 11th of March. So we have interviewed um, Andrew Howard in the past from Bitcoin Reserve. And it was a real pleasure to have him on the show again. reason we did was... Um, he talked about leaving Mexico, where he's been living for some time, and um, promoting um, life in Mexico, and he's going back to the U.S. Uh, he did get a lot of messages as to why he's doing so, so we wanted to catch up with him about that. Uh, he is also an ambassador for Free Private Cities, and that's something we talked as well. So this is not so much a Bitcoin basic show. This is something where we went into a lot of politics and society and the world that we are living in at the moment. Um, I am usually very reserved when it comes to my opinions, my political persuasions, and my personal stories. I let my hat off for this one. And um, yeah, uh, so feel free to criticize, condemn, encourage, um, and thank you for tuning in, everyone. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, like, and share so we can find others like yourself. It is a pleasure to have Andrew Howard back. We had Andrew with us last year. Um, Andrew, we said on the podcast, we're going to have you back when Bitcoin hits 100K. Um, that obviously has not happened yet, guys. But you were um, in the, when I say in the news, you're in FinTwit news. Um, because uh, last time we chatted, you were in Mexico City. And um you were very keen on Mexico City. Um, you were talking about Bitcoin citadels, and now you're leaving. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, so I was in. I've, I've been in many different parts of the country, um, but uh, my kind of main area is Puerto Vallarta in Mexico. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I've had an evolution of perspective since living outside of the United States for the past two years. Um, I'm still going to be in Mexico for probably about seven-ish more months, um, just finalizing things before I go up to the United States. But um, yeah, my long-term plan is to you know go back to the United States and we can definitely get into why. I still 
Um, I want to preface it with, you know, I think depending on who you are, Mexico is still a great option. Um, particularly if you are, uh, an unvaccinated person, uh, like, you know, an unvaccinated foreigner who can't go to the United States. And, uh, cause as you know, you know, uh, a while back, the United States, uh, said that if you are not, um, you know, vaccinated, you, you can't travel in the country, which is pretty insane. And so, you know, under that circumstance, if you're like a European or Canadian or Australian or whatever, um, by all means vote with vote with your feet and go to a place that's that's a lot more relaxed and is going to care about your freedom um and i i think mexico still has a lot of great things to offer but personally as somebody from the united states uh there are a lot of reasons why i think uh you know you should be bullish in some ways in the united states depending on the area yeah, I know. I've um, I do want to ask you why you're moving back, but I have seen there's been um, outflows of people from New York and from California, specifically going to Florida and Texas, where they have much more open laws as far as freedom of movement, freedom of gathering. Um, yeah, I was really keen to get to the Bitcoin conference, um, but. Uh, I don't like the term unvax because I grew up in North Africa. So I've been vaccinated a whole lot of things. I, you know, on medical advice, I chose not to get the Pfizer vaccine and to basically, you know, if I do get this thing, then to combat it um, naturally using my natural immune system, which is very healthy and which I take vitamins for. Um, but as you say, I, I can go to America. Um, and if I want to come back to New Zealand where I'm a resident, I would have to stay in isolation for two weeks. Um, so it makes, <laughs> it makes overseas travel just impossible right now. Uh, that's my personal dilemma, but yeah. So why are you moving back to the U S yeah. And, and good on you for, you know, trusting the immune system that we all have, uh, that everybody has seemed to, uh, have forgotten about. So yeah, good on you for that. Um, yeah. So why, why am I going back to the United States? So a multitude of reasons. Uh, the one that I'll start off with, which if, if anybody has heard me on other recent podcasts, I probably sound like a bro broken record, but like, it, it's such an important thing to, to keep in mind uh, when it comes to the United States is there is no other country on earth that that has, you know, this, this idea of freedom that everybody looks up to you, you know, like it's, it's, and even if people don't know what freedom truly is in the way that maybe we would define it as people that are libertarians or, you know, in the Austrian school of thought, like still just to have this societal, you know, sort of reverence to the concept of freedom, there's really something there. And, and I think that affects a lot of things. Um, you know, uh, what else? I, I should I should also say that I think for sure the United States government is waging war on people in the United States. I firmly believe that um, the U.S. government does not have uh, the interest in mind of, of U.S. citizens. Um, and I I'm not even going to do on a long tangent of why, but it, it's it's just it's it's just absolutely insane what the United States government is doing, um, uh, especially when it comes 
to to food. I mean, one thing I can talk about in that regard without going on too much of a tangent, because I know the question is, why did I go to the United States? But um, I guess just seeing, you know, my home country uh, falling apart in some ways and seeing how the United States government is is clearly, you know, they have a propaganda campaign. Um, they're trying to destroy the country. And that's a very tough thing for me to see from an outsider position. I mean, I, I, I grew up being very patriotic. I joined the military, I joined the Marine Corps. Um, I, I was very proud of being an American. And then I got interested in the libertarian school of thought and um, Austrian economics and all that and, and anarcho-capitalism and you know, um, that changed my perspective to basically see borders as arbitrary lines drawn on a map by politicians. <laughs> and I think that is absolutely the case, right? Like there's no reason there should be this fence in between. I mean, you know, the only real prop, uh, property is private property. I mean, there, there's no, just because this group of people who calls themselves government draws a line on a map in a certain area and says, we, you know, we own this, this area that doesn't make it legitimate ownership, right? The only real form of ownership is private property. Um, but that being said, just because you don't like the United States government doesn't mean, you know, that's a very different thing from not liking the United States. And when I left Mexico, after having been in the United States military, ha- kind of having a bad taste in my mouth, uh, from the governmental perspective, you know, um, my opinion is, has kind of changed in that regard too. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think maybe a final point to put uh, a cap on this is Latin America has a lot of very great things to offer, uh, these days. Um, and especially when it comes to food security too, in my opinion which is going to be only more and more uh, important as time goes on. But there is uh, a lot of compliance in Latin America. and um, Compliance you know, with food security. Uh, compliance with the COVID stuff, which is a huge shame. And obviously mm-hmm. there's a lot of compliance everywhere, right? But um, you just don't have, like people don't care about freedom as much here. <laughs> Right. The, 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 hmm. the good thing about Mexico is that, you know, it's, it's kind of a, kind of a cultural thing to just take the path path of least resistance, which is beneficial in many ways. Um, but there is just, there's not this urge, uh, to just say, okay, what the hell is happening? <laughs> Why are we still wearing masks after, after two years of a virus that is a 99 point seven or eight or nine, whatever percent survival rate, like what's going on here, you know? Is there maybe a greater fear of authority there? Um, Cause I, I grew up in North Africa where some of these states are monarchists and yeah, you, and some of the places where I grew up, you don't question the government so much because you know, you can just get arbitrarily arrested and your family never see you again. So is there perhaps a bit more, not reverence, but just simple fear of regimes is that, is that what you mean by freedoms there? That's a good question. Um, you know what? I, I don't want to act like I know just because I'm not, I'm not like, uh, 
you know, I, I didn't grow up here or anything like that. So I, I, I couldn't really give you like a firm exact answer, but um, I mean, I, I will say that I, I believe uh, Mexico is one of the most dangerous countries in the world for a journalist to be in. Hmm. <laughs> so there's that, right? Like I, that's, that's a really, you know, that's a real thing. Journalists here just get, get taken away and killed by the cartel or, or by politicians, whatever. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's, I think in many ways, I see it in the United States too. Like um, apathy is very popular now, especially for people in my generation, like the younger crowd, like for some reason, just not caring about stuff is, you know, um, like being too passionate is not, is not like a cool thing now, you know? Um, It's not just the U S this is global complacency. And um, yeah, I mean, I've witnessed it here in New Zealand and yeah, anyone who, considers anything at this stage is automatically an anti-vaxxer and a conspiracy theorist it's like well hang on no yeah i'm not anti-vax i'm not a conspiracy theorist i'm just questioning certain certain policies but you're not allowed to do that now you know even that i (laughs) so i know this is a bitcoin show but i and i don't really care if people think i'm crazy or whatever but like the even just the term anti-vax all these Mm. it's such like a it's such a harsh label but uh you know i mean let's say you don't agree with this this medical ideology of having to inject yourself from beginning at like three months of old at birth (laughs) like what is that are you just immediately are you just crazy because you don't want to you know you you have a different view on health because i know a shit ton of of uh families who are very healthy who who are freedom-minded who don't vaccinate their kids and their kids are the healthiest I've seen out of anybody I know. I mean, they've got, you know, bright eyes, good looking skin, you know, healthy, you know, of course they're, they're, they'll get sick, but like, it, it's not like they're, they're dying of all these things. Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like follow the money, right? Like um, yep. to think that, that uh, medical systems being merged with governmental systems to think there's no way there's going to be any corruption there. Like that's very naive. So are you, so one thing you said, I really relate to, I, um, I I was born and raised in North Africa. I was, um, I didn't go to any English school until I was 16. And, um, that's when I moved to Arizona and my, I did the last two years of high school in Arizona. Um, so I spent quite a bit of time in America. Um, and I found that people are amongst the most generous hospitable people in the world, Americans. However, the government poli- living overseas, though, there's the American government policy and there's the American government, which is the people. And I'd agree with you, the American government policies are not favorable to the people. Because um, when you say freedoms to me, I'm th- like what I witnessed living in America is if you're on low income or even middle class, life is quite hard. Um, if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, what you need in life, um, food, health, and you know, edu- I'd say even education, those are very expensive. Eating healthy is really expensive. Um, going to the hospital is incredibly expensive. And yeah, education, um, these things I see, okay, they're really expensive. Now, a lot of things in America are cheap. Your luxury items are incredibly cheap. Luxury cars, even home ownership is actually cheaper compared to most of the RG20 countries. But I just found, gosh, it's it's the standard of living I found in North Africa was probably higher than in America. And the funny thing that I found was if you questioned your standard of living in America, 
then you are seen as anti, um, unpatriotic. So to me, that, that, that was just something I noticed as an outsider looking in. So I, the, the, my senior year of high school in Arizona was the most fun I've ever had. Um, I had so much fun, but just, I, I thought, man, the standard of living here does not look that good. Cause I knew people who would spend thousands of dollars a month on insurance premiums. You know, what is it? Minimum 50,000, a hundred thousand dollars for a university degree. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's not like that in other countries. Uh, yeah. And, and in the United States, you can't even like, if you go to the hospital and you need something done, they won't tell you how much it costs until after it's done. Oh, I witnessed that myself. Yeah. I, I got subscribed pain medication and this was 20 years ago and that cost me $2,000. So yeah, anywhere else that's you know probably 50 bucks at most. So yeah. So when you say freedom, I just want to narrow down what are you referring to when you say the freedoms you get in America? What would you get that you wouldn't get in European countries or the entities like Australia, New Zealand? Yeah. Uh that's a really good question. Um well, you know, the big elephant in the room is uh guns, right? You know, I mean the in uh, <laughs> The U.S. is just such a crazy country. It has more guns than people. Um, and I think that is a very large factor uh, in a lot of things. I mean, the Second Amendment was was not set up for hunting. <laughs> you know, it, it was and it wasn't even set up primarily for, uh, you know, foreign enemies. It was, it was really for a, a domestic threat to keep your government in check. I mean, Thomas Jefferson uh, talked about that. And, you know, a bunch of founding fathers say that, you know, the purpose of the second amendment is to ensure that the government is kept in check. And, uh, one of my favorite quotes, uh, by Jefferson is, uh, when the, when the people fear the government, there is tyranny. When the government fears the people, there is liberty. And that's something that, uh, we have forgotten today in the United States as well, but um, so that, you know, I, I would say is probably one of the bigger factors. Um, second point aside from that is I'm not saying that the United States is a more free country than other areas right now at this point. I mean, I'm largely I'm going back because um, I see an extremely unique culture, which I was very, I think, lucky to have been born in, uh, which I now see the value in since living outside of it for a couple of years. And um I, I want to be in that culture. I mean, if, if, if we're talking about like quality of life and, and if you work online, you're going to have a much better quality of life in Mexico. Um, and it, again, I, I, I always say like with the Citadel stuff, cause we're always talking about it. And this is a big concept that I'm, I'm really interested in it just free living Citadels, all that, like there's not one right answer for everyone. I don't think, you know? Um, but I, I also think we're moving into a world where it's going to be very difficult to escape this, like this huge black, like swarm of tyranny. That's, that's, Mm -hmm. you know, encompassing the entire earth. So. Sorry. One thing I just want to mention here. So just, if I can summarize this point, tell me if I'm, I'm right in interpreting this is you're seeing what's happening to your country. When I say your country, I mean your your people, your American brothers and sisters. Rather than just ignore the problem, live overseas, you're deciding to go back and 
support your brethren and just be yeah, be part of improving the country. Is that is that the drive to go back to the U.S.? Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. I mean, we've seen the same thing here in New Zealand. A lot of people go, "These policies are insane." Mm-hmm. You know, my my twelve year old can't compete in competitive sports, and we're seeing you know the mm-hmm. vaccine passport system have a debilitating impact on the mental health of children. Some people are like, "Do I just get the hell out of here and go to El Salvador?" Or do I stay here and fight the system? So I just want to clarify one thing here. You mentioned gun ownership and um, fear of the government. Um, shouldn't I'm playing devil's advocate here? Shouldn't we move past the muskets where we fight back with guns, but use the democratic process to fight back? Ah, uh-huh. um, so multifaceted uh answer we should have here okay so uh i think that we are so the war that we're in right now is primarily not a war of physical violence um but more so information and resources as well Mm -hmm. like i really i firmly believe they want to make people as poor as possible (laughs) like i i really do economic servitude yeah yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, yeah. what better of a way uh, is there to control somebody than to have, mm. you know, take away all their resources? They're going to like physically need you um, mm. for their survival. And if somebody needs you, then you can do whatever you want with them. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, when I, when I think of like, and, you know, and aside from that, like uh, 1776, that's, that's not like a pretty thing, right? That's, mm. that's like, the least preferred option. Um, I also don't think that I I'll, I'll say this. I don't think it's as, as black and white as 17, 1776, right. Or uh, fighting the system with the system through democracy mm-hmm. and trying to get a, a bill passed, you know, whatever. Like, I, I don't think that, that suing the CDC or suing, I, I just, I don't have any hope in that system at all. That's why I love Bitcoin so much is because I, I just seeing so many things growing up as an American, like all these bullshit wars that, that my government wants to go in. So many people disagreeing with that. So many people trying to change that through the system. Um, the vaccine stuff, people, you know, <laughs> saying I'm going to sue this company and whatever it, it's none of it's working. And, and Bitcoin is something that actually works today. Um, Anyways, long story short, to to specifically answer your question as far as solutions, what I have in mind, here are the most viable solutions that I see for certain states in the U.S. to be free. Bitcoin, obviously, being one of the biggest, I want to orange pill people, um, just as we all do. Food is a big one. So in the United States... uh, it's it's been increasingly difficult for family farms to uh, to just be a thing. I mean, I, I believe since the there's a documentary on this called Farmageddon, and it essentially talks about the U.S. government's war on family farms. And in that documentary, they say that since the 1970s, we've had 80 percent less uh, family farms in the United States. Um. They have, you know, the U.S. government has has sent in SWAT teams, you know, like 20 dudes with big guns and vehicles 
to at the middle of the night to go and raid a a family farm because <laughs> they're selling raw milk to people. You know, so and 90 percent of the meat supply in the United States or like 95, something like that is monopolized by about four corporations. So there is very clearly a, a, you know, they want to get people dependent on their food system as well. Um, and I don't like that. Uh, so I think that, you know, the most effective like protest really is Bitcoin um, is having your own food. And uh, having community, like having like-minded mm. people near you yep. that you actually, you know, you, you you have relationships with. So, yeah, absolutely. And when what Orange told me into Bitcoin, and sorry for this show was targeted to noobs. So Orange Pill is essentially uh, reference to the Matrix, where you know you had the two the green and the red pill, and the orange pills. You're taking the Bitcoin pill. So what orange pill mean to Bitcoin was the economic and societal factors. It took me a while to understand the technology behind it. Um, this is where Gordon comes from. He comes from a tech perspective. But to me, it was looking back at history, um, most things were centralized. So you mentioned land before. It was actually private land that started the Industrial Revolution and created the middle class. So it was the decentralization of land. When we had the separation of church and state in 1648, Treaty of Westphalia, that is when we decentralized political power. The head of the church was no longer the head of state. We elected the head of state. So we're starting to see decentralization of things. And to me, oh, we're not decentralizing finance. So the Bretton Woods Institution has done more harm than good. The Euro petrodollar system has done more harm than good. Um, what, and you know, what we've seen in this pandemic is the ultra rich have become more ultra rich and the ultra poor become more ultra poor and we are decimating the middle class. And Robert Reich did a documentary about, you know, and this is 10 years old, I think, where he was saying, we're going to have serious societal issues because we're killing the middle class. And this to me was, okay, so Bitcoin is a decentralized alternative. Um, and we're, like I mentioned before, kids sports, kids that can't participate in sports here because they're unvaccinated. So what we're seeing now is a, a group that's basically saying, well, we're going to start our own sports program and anyone can participate. Um, you know, here as well in New Zealand, so I'm rambling a bit here, guys, but I'm leaning to a question. Um, you are not allowed to go to cafes, restaurants if you don't have a vaccine pass. This applies to 13-year-olds as well. You can't buy, you can't sit down for a hamburger or a cup of coffee if you don't have the vaccine pass on your phone. So there's a guy who owns private land and he just set up a free market. And, you know, a thousand people come together without a mask, without social distancing. And it's just a few trucks and markets. And ironically, it has not led to a mass COVID outbreak that everyone feared. <laughs> so we're starting to see, okay, I disagree with this. So I am running a parallel alternative. So to me, this is something I'm starting to notice. We are seeing parallel alternatives to the system. Bitcoin was a first with finance. Now with these COVID regulations, we're seeing freedom of movement as an alternative to what the central authority is telling me to do. Now, this is where I kind of want to segue into the um, Free Private Cities Foundation, which you're an ambassador of. Tell us about that, please. Yeah, so... Uh, the, so first of all, my, my affiliation with free private cities, uh, I, 
I just am somebody who's very fascinated with the idea and wants to spread it with other people. So I'm, I'm an about quote, an ambassador. I just talked about it and um, I just find the concept very interesting. So what a free private city is, um, is basically taking all of the quote services that you get from a government and turning those into a private business, which is actually attainable. Um, so in a sense, it's, it's, it's plugging in the Austrian school of thought into real life. Um, cause there, you know, I mean, it's, there are services that governments do that of, of course we need. <laughs> and that's, that's part of the thing that's so tough, right. Is because on one hand you have this organization that like puts fires out when if, you know, building catches on fire or like, if there's some, I don't know if somebody gets shot or something, I would hope that there's, there's some sort of police or security that, that deals with that or, you know, stuff like that, a society like the roads, obviously, right. That's the biggest question that any libertarian gets is how are we, how are we going to build the roads? Um, And all free private cities is saying is we can have all of these services in a much better way um, if they are done privately, because you know, the government has no accountability in the sense that if, if they do a bad job at one of these services that they're providing, they're still going to be in business because their, their form of generating revenue is actually one of two things. So it's, it's the first is taxation and the second is inflation. That's it. Um, versus a private company where the private company has to provide a, you know, legitimate service or product to people, which, which adds value to people's lives. And in exchange for the value that people are receiving, they're willing to pay for it. Um, And if the business does a bad job, then, then uh, they're not going to be in business. So uh, that's what a free private city is. As far as um, how this can be done, the idea is, is, is also very interesting. So, so it's like, how do you do this, right? Uh, you have this idea, and that's great. But how are you actually going to plug it in into the real world? And how are you going to like start this free private city thing? Where, right? Um, the idea is to go to an existing nation state, and uh, you know, have have an area uh, like have a big piece of land in mind that's in their jurisdiction that's not being occupied. And say, hey, uh, we want to make like a, a Hong Kong. <laughs> That's basically what we want to do, right? We want to have, uh, we want to let people do their thing. We want to leave people alone, um, right? Of course, if if you know, something bad is happening, right? Like like if uh, there's actual crime or if, if somebody's hurting somebody else, we're going to have uh, you know private security forces deal with that, which are accountable and, and keep people safe. But um, you know, we we want to uh, just let businesses innovate and, and grow. And so, anyways, long story short, they make the agreement with uh, an existing nation state and say we will give you a certain percentage of our revenue as a free private city, since we're a business, right, for profit business. Uh, if you just let us do what we want. And so the idea is that the nation state has a financial incentive to permit freedom, you should say. Um, 
yeah, so that's that's basically what a free private city is. One thing I would keep keep my eye on. I don't know if you've heard of uh, Prospera at all, but this is like a, a real world um, place that's implementing this idea in Honduras. They've they've actually made a contract with the uh, government of Honduras. I believe they get about twelve or thirteen percent of the revenue from the free private city, something like that. Um, please don't quote me on the numbers because I could be off there, but. Um, that's it's really happening in the real world. And it's really cool um, to see that. So basically, um, if I'm understanding this correctly, the uh, corporations run the city. The government of the host nation is not responsible for any of the infrastructure. It's run by corporations. They're not responsible for the health or even defense and security of the private city citizens, residents. In return for the land allocation, the host government gets a certain percentage of the um, GDP. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, I, I I believe, yeah, I mean, the Honduran government is not even allowed to enter uh, that area unless they are permitted. Oh, so, so they actually have sovereignty then. Wow. Okay. In that sense, I mean, Ooh. here's the thing, right? To play, to play devil's advocate, uh, is and this was one of my biggest questions coming into this idea of free private cities is okay well what happens if they just don't care about the contract that they made Mm. for the free private city what happens if they just invade the area right yeah well there are financial incentive be to do that though yeah so that's you're looking at pure market forces there um that's that's fascinating something i want to actually look into it some more because um, something that we're noticing in the Bitcoin space, because we've been doing this for a couple of years now, and all before I ramble on again, tell us a bit more for those that didn't hear Andrew in our first podcast. Tell us about Bitcoin Reserve, Andrew. Yeah, I want to say one more thing about free private cities, yeah. uh, just to because uh, I, I think it's worth mentioning. Uh, companies can set up there also as well. There's like the I guess there's this this e license thing, something online where you can pretty much set up a business in like a day. Uh, out of this free private city um, in Honduras. So, and again, it's called Prospera, P-R-O-S-P-E-R-A. I thought it was kind of cool. Um, and I know people that have done it. So anyways. We'll, we'll link to it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Bitcoin Reserve. Uh, I am the chief business development officer. And basically I I I wear a bunch of hats. Um, I write articles. I talk with awesome, awesome people like yourself, you know, Bitcoiners around the world. And um, our goal is just to uh, orange pill Europe and help mm. people buy and sell Bitcoin in the easiest way possible in any amount. So, um, and we don't offer shit coins and uh, we, we force our clients to have self-custody. So yeah, that's what we do. Uh, that's what we've been advocating for two years by Bitcoin only dollar cost averaging, put it in the cold storage. So yeah, we, like you say, broken record, every episode, what we do is just, yeah, that's Bitcoin only put it in the cold storage. <laughs> it's such an important thing. I mean, yep. it's, and cause it's, it's just, it's a very convenient thing to just leave your coins on the exchange. <laughs> but uh, man, after seeing what's happening in Canada, um, yep. yep. I don't know where I heard this. I heard that. Uh, so I'm sure you saw those videos of these Canadian truckers being given Bitcoin, mm-hmm. right? I heard that one of the Canadian truckers, uh, he was not very tech savvy, like put his coins on an exchange for some reason. And he KYC'd himself, of course. 
Mm-hmm. And then the Canadian government seized his coins from the exchange because he was participating in the protest. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so we, that's... We have to take custody. Yeah, so that's something that, yes, exchanges... Your, if your Bitcoins are on exchange, then you can be in a position where you can't withdraw them because you are KYC'd. If they're in a wallet, then no, because two wallet providers responded to the Canadian government saying, frankly, because uh, the Canadian government requested wallet providers to um, freeze wallets. The wallet provider said, well, even if we wanted to, we can't and we don't want to. Um, so, I mean, that was the biggest ad for getting your Bitcoins off exchanges was, yeah, what the Canadian government announced with their uh, Emergencies Act and ex- um, extending the AML rules there. So with that, I mean, central bank digital currencies um, is something that I thought is probably 10 years away. And it's something that we're now seeing is just coming out very, very quickly in a lot of countries. They're just saying, yep, here's what's happening, central bank digital currencies. And this is leading to another term we're coming across more regularly now. And something we're being asked about is um, digital sovereignty. So people are like, okay, I've got financial freedom with Bitcoin, but my identity is online. And if you think 10 years ago, someone came up to you and said, the government is going to give you a microchip. Um, It's going to GPS you everywhere you go and record some conversations. People be in uproar. That's no way it's going to happen. But the smartphone came out, and that's basically what we're doing. Everywhere we go, everything we look at, everyone we talk to is recorded, and it is metadata that is actually then sold to third parties. And we sign away these contracts without looking at them. So people are now going, okay, something is amiss, because for the first time in history, Facebook um, did not gain new users. For the first time ever, they actually lost users. Um, And we are coming across more and more people saying, okay, I want Bitcoin, but... I also want digital scrubbing. I want a new online identity. I just want to know that who I am as an individual, as a person is protected and I'm in charge of my own data. Is that something you have considered? Is that something you've come across with the people you're dealing with? Yeah. Um, so it is absolutely something I've considered. A uh, quick, creepy story about that is uh, I was... <clears throat> talking with somebody the other day and uh i just my, my back was hurting from jujitsu and i just mentioned like man you know my back's really hurting <laughs> and uh probably about i think five or ten minutes later they scrolled on their phone and saw an advertisement for chiropractors which is kind of weird and uh i've talked with people about that and i've heard i know like a lot of people that have had the same thing happen they'll talk about something and then they check their phone and randomly see like an ad for that thing they're talking about. Super creepy. Um, and I don't know, maybe it's just all in my head. Right. But uh, I don't think it's that crazy of a thing to say. Right. I mean, these things like are trained to know our exact voices. And when, when, when we say, Hey Siri, it's not, they're not yeah. just listening to Hey Siri, you know, they're listening to everything we're saying. Super creepy. Um, so just on yeah, that. One- sorry, yeah. keep going. Keep going. No, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, because I heard he, one. You know these, sorry, you know these vacuum cleaners huh? that just go around your house and vacuum by themselves. I don't want to yeah. name the name just in case. So, I heard what they're actually doing is they're mapping your home, doing a, a two-dimensional blue, blueprint of your home. 
that two-dimensional blueprint goes back to the organization who sold you the, the vacuum cleaner. They will then, they figure out what furniture you have in the home and where you have spaces, available spaces. They are selling the blueprint of your home to advertising agencies. You will then get an ad in your Instagram feed or wherever for an ottoman that would go perfectly in that spot where you have vacate. You have vacate. Man. So, yeah. That is weird. Yeah, data data is the new oil, right? I mean, yep. that's, yeah. When you really start to think about like that phrase, data is the new oil. It's it's has a lot of implications. So the reason the reason I bring this up is twofold. One is I see this as the next part of like you're talking about free cities. That's great. Um, I I see a future there. But also what we're seeing is people coming up to us saying, "I want to be a so- a sovereign individual," which basically means yeah, Bitcoin means I'm my own bank. But what about my data? Because my metadata is everything that is everything that I am. Um. So how do I control, I can control my own finances with Bitcoin. How do I control my own data and who I am? So this is where I see us as a society, people going, okay. And it might just be, you know, one to 10% of society now, but that is going to be a big move away from big tech or third-party tech. And this is where Bitcoin started with decentralizing finance. And now it's like, okay, I've got autonomy of my finance. I want autonomy of my online identity. And this is where I, I see these free cities moving into as well. Part part of that shift from big government um, and big tech. Yeah. Uh, in that regard, another, another thing that comes to mind is, um, I don't know, have you looked into like privacy phones at all? Yes. So this is something me and Gordon are talking about. So we are actually launching a new service where we are helping people with their online privacy. Um, setting up a private server, for example. So you are controlling your own data. You control what you share uh, with the world, what people sees. And with your own phone, it's something that we're looking at as well. Because they are out there, these private phones. Um, The problem is the apps are not very user-friendly, not very sophisticated. But we're, again, what we're talking about now would be like Bitcoin 2012. Yeah. Yeah, because that's that's a service that... um... I mean, I, I asked because I've been looking into privacy phones and there's like, uh, you know, Calix OS and all these different options. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, but the price is like the same price as an iPhone. So it's really not that much more expensive. It's just the inconvenience of searching yeah. for what the best phone to have. And so I feel like if there was like a business that helped people out with that, I know a friend of mine, uh, for anybody in the US, he's got a company called Above Agency, I believe. And he sells like privacy phones and it's exactly what we described. But uh, people need more of that. People need a business where they can just... It's, it's as easy as buying an iPhone, you know? Oh, is, is it the conversation me and Gordon just had yesterday is I said, if I want to be a sovereign digital individual, as in I just want to be in control of everything that I do, and I can just buy a package. Here's your new computer, your new phone. You don't even need a new computer. Here's your new phone. Here's your Bitcoin node, your Bitcoin backup system, all of that stuff. Bang, select it. Here it comes. And I know my data, my finance is secure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, that's I totally agree with that. That's that's yeah. really important. When Gordon listens to this, I'll probably be getting a hundred questions as to why do you ask him that? Why do you tell him that? Why do you ask this? Why do you bring this up? <laughs> so yeah, yeah. so for me, like I, I'm fascinated the fact that you started into Bitcoin. 
Um, I love your journey because you didn't come at it from a tech point of view or a finance point of view. It was more from questioning society and foreign policy, especially um, looking looking at questioning that. So this is where my journey into Bitcoin, yeah, wasn't from appreciating tech. It was from appreciating um, economics. Um, so I think we're starting to see more and more people come into Bitcoin because they're not just interested in the tech because it is over most people's heads, but they're interested in, okay, look, where are we as a society now? And we are at a, you know, a fourth turning beginning of a new hundred year cycle. And so Bitcoin will continue to grow because of that. But now we're saying, okay, what if I actually do want to be the master of my own health, master of my own data? This is something I think is a trend that's only going to continue to grow. So that's why I saw you, yeah, I was very keen to figure out, oh, why are you leaving Mexico? And yeah, talking about free um, free cities was yeah really fascinating for for me to come across because I think yeah you're at the tip of the spear here. Um, yeah, I want to ask you this: is, um, Are you worried that okay, this is stuff that we are talking about? Are you worried that you're going to come under the radar of certain three letter agencies and you might become a person of interest? I mean, the way I see it is I'm a totally peaceful person. Um, I have no interest. I'm just a, a dude who wants to help other, I, I just want to do good things while I'm here in this life. I'm not a violent guy, not some sort of criminal. Um, and I, I just speak my mind through this microphone over the internet to people like yourself. Um, I certainly don't want to censor my language. And um, I, I, I know a lot of people that have a lot of money and they, they are living in prisons because they care more they, 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 they can't just say what they believe. <laughs> mm. And I don't ever want to be in that position ever. I don't, I, I, I can't, like, I literally cannot just, you know, if I, if I think something is the truth, if I think something is moral, I'm, I'm going to have to say it. So uh, yeah, I mean, obviously like getting on, on camera and saying taxation is theft and, mm. you know, like, the U.S. government oh, yeah. is, yeah, all this stuff. Like, it, it's not the greatest, but um, well, originally, it tax income tax was only a temporary measure to support war efforts. Yes, that's funny. You know that as as well. You lived in the U.S., so that makes sense. But um, yeah, most Americans don't know that it was supposed to be a temporary income tax, and the way they they did it too is is actually still illegal. So they, hmm. I don't, it's. I, I don't want to go on too much of a tangent, but they always get us in this legalese, like this legal language. Um, yeah. But, but uh, yeah, I mean, income, like the word income does not mean what you think it means. The word wages, right, does not mean what Americans think it means. Like they, they get us operating in this system where we pay them money. But um, there's a guy I know <clears throat> uh, for the last like 25 years, he's he's publicly not paid any, any taxes. He's publicly, uh, helped U S citizens not pay taxes because he has found that they have illegally instituted, mm. you know, the income tax and, uh, the, the IRS has gone after him. Um, he's been in court with the IRS and they dropped his case. Uh, they have not been able to convict him or anything like that because the man is, a, a, appears to be right. <laughs> So his, his name's, uh, I think his name is Paymon Montadehe. Montadehe. He has Freedom Law School. If you look up Freedom Law School, this okay. guy's a uh, very interesting guy. So, but yeah, that's also a scam. <laughs> well, I think someone said, and 
Yeah. So two things. One is just because you don't want to pay taxes does not mean you're a contributing member of society. Um, you are a consumer. That is a, you know, that's your contribution. Um, but also with someone mentioned, if the government just go ahead and print all this money and give it out, why are we still paying taxes with the yeah, COVID oh, relief? Yeah. And even that, there there was this court case. I forget the name of the court case, dang it. But if you just look up, uh, if you look up something along the lines of of what I'm talking about, you'll find mm. what I'm talking about. Yeah. But basically, all of the tax money that the U.S. government collects goes off to pay the national debt. It, it doesn't go to infrastructure <laughs> or anything that we think it does. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty funny. Uh, uh, yeah, and this is why I appreciate Bitcoin because of its diminishing supply and the fact that the halvening, which as soon as I started reading that, I'm like, whoa, this is phenomenal because the best way I've heard a fiat currency described is it is you're paying a, um, a, a sorry, how did they put it? Um, yeah, you're paying a tax on the currency. It's designed to dilute and that is your usefulness tax because you're getting the cash, well, Tax the cash for free from the government, um, a utility tax. You're paying a utility tax, and and with a central bank digital currency, what they're saying is if if we move to a cash free society, um, to a central bank digital one, is you might have say you receive a thousand dollars this fortnight in your wallet, your digital wallet. Well, over time, that's going to diminish because you you know you mentioned inflation before. So you're going to see inflation in goods and services, but then you're also going to see that, yeah, if you don't spend that by this fiscal year, we're going to take 10%. And they can do that in a digital wallet. They can't take 10% of cash away from you. They can do it with inflation. But you might be looking at a potential double inflation, where if you're running off a central bank digital currency, if you don't spend this money, you'll have 10% less next year. Because this is how, unfortunately, economies work these days. It's just the hamster spinning the wheel. The wheel is creating more debt. And we're just going to keep spinning it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, there. I mean, as as you and probably a lot of people listening know, uh, they already do that in China. They they set time mm-hmm. limits to to you know the amount of time that you can use uh, the digital yuan. I don't know if in in every case. I think in some cases, but they have done that in China. Yeah, it's really creepy to see where this stuff is is going because um, looking at this again. And I, I'm by no means any expert on this. If you really want to listen to an expert talk about central bank digital currencies, listen to Catherine Austin Fitz, because <laughs> mm-hmm. that woman really knows what's coming. But uh, yeah, China, you know, you it, just in the standing one QR code, uh, mm-hmm. like all your all your information is there. Like your your medical we've information, had, your uh, criminal history, yep. your family's criminal history, your social credit score. Yeah. Oh, this is life imitating art because there was, you know, a Black Mirror episode called Deep Dive where this is exactly what was happening. I saw that one. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. 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 It's just so, yeah. it's so weird. I mean, I, and we've had two years of practice um, scanning QR codes, haven't we? Yeah, we have. Yeah, yeah we certainly have. Yeah. yeah. Look, Andrea, I know we've gone off beyond Bitcoin, but to me, um, like this show is just about Bitcoin basics, helping people buy Bitcoin. But every now and again, we do like to do these longer episodes. And um, yeah, I, I do really want people to appreciate that Bitcoin is not just a financial system. There's a lot more going on right now. It is an opt-out system. And when we say opt-out, it doesn't mean run away from America, run away from Australia, New Zealand. You can still be part of that culture, that country, that camaraderie. 
but there is an alternative to the debt-based system that we're living under. Um, and what you guys are doing at Bitcoin Reserve and the Free Cities is, I think, just astounding work. Um, uh, is there anything else you want to add? Anything I haven't asked you or you would I should have asked you? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Um, something that just popped in my head while you were saying all that is, you know, as far as uh, other topics outside of Bitcoin is, you know, Bitcoin relates to every aspect of life in some mm. way, because like money is, is <laughs> touches all aspects in life and all money is, is it's just, uh, I think I mentioned this last time on the show, it's, 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 uh, you know, a form of human energy. It's like stored yep. human energy that you can transfer and, and hang on to. And, and um, yeah, exactly. And Bitcoin is just a more moral monetary system. Like mm. there, there's a reason Bitcoiners still hang on to this thing, even after a 40%, you know, drop or whatever, mm. Um, is because humanity has been stuck with this uh, elite class of people that has access to the money printer and, and mm. can buy whatever they want. And, uh, you know, so we're opting out. I mean, we, we don't want that to happen. We see that as immoral. We, we look at, at, at Bitcoin as a more fair monetary system. Um. So yeah, I think that's uh, probably probably what I could could end on in that regard. Like that would be probably my last point. Is it, it's a more mo- moral monetary system. We're not in it just for the financial gains. Although that's oh, no. you know, it's great because this thing that we're all really passionate about is is highly likely to happen to make us wealthy <laughs> as yeah. well. When I was at university, I uh, worked in sales as well. And part of my sales training, and I remember to say, human beings want two things, freedom and security. And that's what money can buy, freedom and security. And that's what Bitcoin is. It's both. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It it is. It's security because it gives you the ability to have more certainty for the future. Mm -hmm. Yep. And human beings can't do anything, uh, you know, can't can't do anything meaningful unless you you have some sort of idea of what the future is going to be. So, yeah, totally agree with that. Look, Andrew, it's been a pleasure once again. And uh, can we catch up with you when you're settled in the States? A hundred percent. Yeah, that would Fantastic. be great. I'll yeah. give you an update. And just where can people follow you? Where can they find you? Yeah, so... Uh, if you are a European and you want to buy some Bitcoin, um, go on bitcoinreserve.com. And uh, my info is also on, on our website there. Uh, and Twitter is where I'm most active. So my handle is Andrew underscore J underscore uh, Howard. And I'm happy to connect with, with anybody on there. So Cool. Oh, thank you very much, Andrew. It's been a pleasure once again. Awesome. Thanks a lot, oh, Ferris. Appreciate no it. Cheers. Cool. Thanks, man. Yeah, yeah, that was a good one. Thanks for watching or listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, subscribe and share so we can spread this educational content to others like yourself. Visit bitcoinbasics.help. Disclaimer, any content provided by CoinCompass is for educational and informational purposes only and is not investment, legal, tax or any other professional advice. A qualified professional should be consulted before making any financial decisions. CoinCompass will at times recommend certain products, services, and technologies, but these are opinions based upon our own or podcast guests' experience and not endorsements. 
We take no liability for out-of-date or inaccurate information, software bugs, manufacturing errors, technology misuse, or issues involving third parties. Visit coincompass.com for more information and please contact us.